welcome back, everybody, to Nordic Ed Podcast. I'm Grant Hedefin, the Global Director of Education, and we've got a really good show today for you. Um, we've got a specialist on the show who's going to be talking about the buying and selling process of, of a boat. You know, how do you buy a boat and how do you sell a boat? So um, today we've got uh, one of the top uh, brokers uh, in the country uh, on the line here, and his name is Andrew Hodgden. And so, welcome, Andrew. Um, let's uh, we're going to talk about buying and selling boats today. Hey, Grant, how's it going? Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, good, good, good. Yeah. So, listen, you work. Um, I'll, I'll um, tell everybody where you're from and all that kind of stuff. Like, you work for a multi-hole uh, company. Um, that's a, a catamaran um, uh, brokerage. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So I. I'm uh, I'm a yacht broker for the multi-hull company, and I also am the technical director for Balance Catamarans, which uh, if 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 your listeners aren't familiar with Balance Catamarans, they're a uh, South African-built uh, performance cruising catamaran. So you know, fifty around fifty feet uh, large cruising catamarans, uh, performance-oriented. Yeah, and I've been on a Balance um, catamaran and uh, up in um, Seattle. And uh, it, it's awesome. These are beautiful. So maybe we can talk about balance uh, catamarans on another podcast. Yeah, I'd love to. They're uh, they're great boats. I'm I'm kind of obsessed with them actually. So it's good. I, I really enjoy my job in in, in that regard. But uh, yeah, happy to chat about balance sometime. Right. So that's a healthy ob- obsession, I hope. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I have to talk about them all day, every day, so it works out. Yeah. And um, so multi hull company. Um, that is a yacht brokerage uh, company specializing in multi hulls and so you're a yacht broker for them. So um, so let's yeah let's talk about um, you know what I want to give today to all the people listening in is is just you know what is the buying process for a boat? What's the selling process for a boat? Um, what are things to watch out for and stuff? Um, but first you know let's um, let's you know see who you are right? Let's talk about um, your sailing background and, and you know how'd you get into sailing and all that kind of stuff. What's your story? Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I I guess I'm kind of similar to a lot of people in the industry. I, I grew up sailing. My dad had a Hobie cat. My sister had a Sunfish. Uh, I grew up sailing on the lake a lot when I was younger, and um, kind of similar to a lot of people in the industry, I would imagine. Um, yeah. But when I was in college, I got a job as a, a sailing instructor. I went to school at UNC Wilmington, which is on the coast here in North Carolina. Nice. And um, I ran the uh, Bald Head Island Sailing Club uh, out here in the, in the summertime, and so we were sailing uh, J-boats, J-80s, so I kind of specialized in J-boats early on in my career. How old were you um, doing that? I was in college, so um, late teens, early 20s. Oh, sweet. So you're an instructor, yeah. instructor um, yeah. that, that young. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I, you know, U.S. sailing certified, and I may, maybe I should have been not a cadet, but... Uh, you know, we went quite around uh, in those days. We yeah, only been around I don't 12 think years. Yeah, we were around yet. <laughs> Not yet. So, well, <laughs> but um, yeah, so at that time, I also started doing yacht deliveries on, on larger monohulls between uh, the Caribbean and the East Coast. And um, if, after I graduated from school, I, I took a job out in San Francisco running uh, do, as a, an instructor out there as well, also on J boats. And Eventually, that transitioned that into um, a career as a licensed captain uh, in the yachting industry. So I, I ran uh, charter boats in the Caribbean for for five years, crewed uh, charter boats with my wife, 
um, doing, you know, like week-long trips through the Virgin Islands or well, that's everybody's the Grenad- dream, Grenadines. right? <laughs> yeah, it was a. I mean, it was great in my twenties. You know, it was uh, made good money and uh, had a lot of fun. Met a lot of great people, and it's a gorgeous place to live. Of course, um, got a lot of great experience, and you know, ran bigger and bigger boats. Um, eventually, we actually our boat was actually. Um, our charter boat we were running at the time was a privileged 585, which is a, a pretty nice uh, large yeah. catamaran. Yeah. And it was actually destroyed in Hurricane Irma in the, and it was, uh, the boat was in Tortola at the time, Bugger. which was really unfortunate, but it kind of forced us into a transition we had been considering, which was to go um, private rather than running charter boats. So we ended up running a couple different private catamarans, um, ending up running gunboats. Um, we took a yeah. gunboat from, from Florida to French Polynesia. I, I don't know if everyone's familiar with gunboats, but they're, they're um, sweet as boat. They're fast though. There's YouTube videos yeah. of them just hauling. It's a cruise. It's a big cat, right? And there's a yeah, video big, of it. Big, just big up on- carbon fiber race oriented catamaran. Uh, really on- fun to sail, but, um, well, they fly on one hull, don't they? Yeah, not ours. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> certainly possible, but we were cruising with a family, so we right. we we tried to avoid the hull flying. But yeah, absolutely, they are certainly capable of it. Um, but yeah, so I you know I really end up uh, later on in my career getting in, uh, into a focus on uh, performance oriented catamarans, mm-hmm. and uh, that's eventually what led me to work for Balance Catamarans. It was a it was a really good fit. So yeah. That's cool. And so you're the technical director of Balance Catamaran. So what does that what does that really mean? Well, so it's uh, I wear a lot of hats under that role. Um, I help with the designs of um, the new models coming out. I operate the boats very frequently. I do all the demo sales. Um, you know, all the the the, ba- the so-called Balance University, which is a, kind of our training course. Mm-hmm. Um, I occasionally get on deliveries, although I don't have as much time to do it as I'd like. Uh, but um, I, and then I, I do sales, of course. So I, I'm one of the lead sales guys, uh, especially on our smaller models. Well, and, and so that sort of brings it around to the topic of um, being a real specialist. Like if you're going to buy a boat, you, you kind of want to buy it from somebody who really, really, really knows what they're doing and can really talk to that boat or talk about that boat and and everything that's going on with the boat Um, because you really don't want to buy a boat from somebody that um, says well I I sell all boats right yeah which so that does kind of segue nicely into my role at the multi-haul company which is um, you know as a as a yacht broker I, I list boats for sale um, but my specific role, I, I spend a lot more time advising people looking to buy a boat. And um, specifically, I specialize in performance-oriented catamarans, of course, and and then, um, you know, crude charter catamarans that generally people are buying to run as a business. Right. Well, um, you know that business inside and out because you did it for, <laughs> you know. Yeah, cor- correct. And actually, my wife is a, is a charter yacht broker. Um, so... The, she basically, it's uh, essentially a travel agent for uh, yacht charter vacations. Right. So I see that industry from all sides. I've, I've worked with the management companies. I've worked as crew. Um, and then obviously I've worked on the side of uh, buying and selling the boats. So 
I have a pretty comprehensive knowledge of uh, the charter industry and know, you know, I have a lot of contacts and done a lot of networking. So it, right. it's a good fit as well. Um, I would say my passion is still with the, um, with the performance cats, but I end up dealing with pretty much everything. You know, I, I also um, advise clients on, you know, I, I don't know if this is a good way to characterize it, but a, a more run of the mill, you know, production catamarans. I, mm -hmm. I'm happy to advise people on more conventional um, catamarans as well. Right. But I, I really enjoy focusing on, you know, the, someone trying to buy it for a business or, or, you know, buy something that's a little more exciting uh, performance deal. So, you know, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Well, so, and then your first sale, like how did that happen? How did you sell your first boat? Was that, was that just by a dumb luck or is that something you wanted to get into or what, what happened? Well, there? so I started at the multi-all company because I, it was when I was, um, actually it was right after we had lost our catamaran in, in Hurricane Irma. And I called Phil Berman, who I had known, um, from, you know, my time in the industry and, Phil Berman owns the multi-haul company um, and also owns Balance Catamarans. And so I called Phil and I said, hey, you know, I'd, I'd really like to uh, get a job running a Balance. Do you know of any, you know, are any of the owners looking for crew? And he said, no, um, you know, the boats really are not, they're, they're made to be owner operated. Um, they're really designed to be operated by a couple. Um, so it's not it's not very frequently that they have professional crew aboard. Um, and he said, no, not, I don't really have any crew, you know, anyone looking for crew, but if you, if you want a job, you can come work for me. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not quite, quite ready to move ashore, but, um, when we decide to settle down, I'll give you a call. And so that's what happened. I, um, you know, we, we took the gunboat to the, to the South Pacific. And I said, and then, you know, after that we were done with that, I was like, I don't know if we can top this. <laughs> We've basically maxed it out at this point. So we decided to settle down and have kids at that point and um, move back to North Carolina. And so I started working for Phil. So uh, getting back to your question though, my, my first sale was, uh, I think Phil, uh, you know, the company sent me a lead for a buyer and I just started chatting with them and said, you know, what are you looking for? Um, and that's always kind of been my MO and it seems to be working quite well Is I, I try and be just honest with people, um, tell it to them straight, you know, share my knowledge and experience. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I, I'm terrified of becoming a, a used car salesman. I really don't have any interest in being that kind of broker. Um, so if you don't like what I have to say and, and, and you don't want to work with me, then, you know, that is what it is. I'm not going to lose sleep over it, but, um, it seems that my approach is, um, uh, people have appreciated my approach because it seems to be going quite well. I, you know, I've had success in the industry and I'm really enjoying myself and, you know, that's a big part of it is making sure that my clients are really enjoy enjoying themselves too. Well, and it sounds like you're just more of a consultant rather than a sales guy. Yeah, I try to be. I mean, I, I'd like that to be my role. Um, I I feel like if 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 I'm having to talk you into whatever boat it is that you know we're thinking about purchasing, um, then that's probably not the right boat for you. Right. You know, I shouldn't I shouldn't have to convince you. 
I'd, I'd rather just provide you with all the relevant information and, and you make the decision yeah. yourself. That's, that's, that's what a, a broker should be doing. And if they're doing something other than that, then um, you might question their motives. Right, so. right. Well, my sister, she's one of the top real estate agents in New Zealand. And um, what she does is she'll take a client, she'll get to know the client, and then she'll take them into a house and she'll, she'll look around and she'll go, oh, this house is not for you. Let's just leave right now. And the client will be like, oh, but wait, 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 wait. She goes, no, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is not going to fit you. It's the wrong layout. It's the wrong number of, you know, whatever. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't face the sun in the right angle. So what you wanted. So let's just leave right now. So she grains a lot of credibility with people. Um, so it sounds like, you know, that's exactly what you're doing is, um, you know, this boat's not for you. Um, so let's move on, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, that's, I probably spend more time pointing out the, the features and, um, you know, specifics of a boat that don't work for what they have told me they want rather than what does work for what they've told me they want. And if they decide to compromise on, on you know, certain aspects of that, then that's fine. That's their decision. But I just want to make sure that they're aware right, that well, those, here's, those are compromises. Yeah, well, so, and here's so. the issue is like you, get, you go to the boat show, right? And you get on a boat and you're like, oh, man, this boat is beautiful. This is awesome. You know, this is exactly what we want. And because um, it's just so beautiful and so nice. And, you know, the sheets are all laid out beautifully mm -hmm. and the pillows and the colors. And they've got, you know, nice stuff on the boat and laid out and flowers and everything. And you're like, this is beautiful. But, um, you know, the, you get on the boat and you start sailing it. And so same th what happened to me one time is I saw a boat um, at the boat show. It looked fantastic. Loved it. I was a catamaran and mm -hmm. uh, chartered it. Um, on a on a yacht charter, um, and within five seconds, I was like, I hate this boat. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that's and, kind of a same old story when it comes to um, certain certain brands. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trying um, to be diplomatic here. Well, and I'll take that word back. Hate's a strong word, right? So let's not use that yeah. one. But you know, uh, I'd, look, I'd prefer what, to. What I like to say is, there's, there's. Obviously, there's no perfect catamaran. Um, there's no perfect yacht for any any person. Um, and there is not, you know, as I say, there's it's always a compromise. But just because one catamaran is perfect for your needs doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect for someone else's needs. So you get the the you know the production boats that are certainly more geared towards the charter industry, um, especially the bare boat charter industry. Um, they're very spacious, very comfortable, um, have a lot of the amenities that you would want for, you know, say a liveaboard, um, but they don't necessarily sail great. Mm -hmm. And they, you, you know, they might get knocked for, you know, this boat can't point up wind better than, you know, 60 degrees apparent. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's, that's the case, but not everybody is looking for a boat that's going to rip up wind. You know, if, if you're, if your intended goal is to bounce around the Caribbean from one beautiful anchorage to the other and spend the majority of your time on the hook, you know, living comfortably, then you don't need a catamaran that rips up wind. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other side of that, if your intended goal is to cross oceans um, and do long distance voyaging and you're, you know, in all likelihood, you're going to be encountering adverse weather conditions and, um, you know, long upwind slogs occasionally, then yeah, you probably should be more focused on something that's going to have a bit better performance. Mm -hmm. But 
the, obviously those are two very different goals. And so the, the perfect catamaran for those specific buyers is going to be two very different boats. Well, and exactly. And, and even it varies between the boats, right? So I, I know uh, one brand of boat that we sail, uh, sailed on a charter was a 45 foot boat and it smoked. It went awesome. And I was just dragging mm -hmm. off everybody in the uh, flotilla that we had. Um, we organized flotillas at, no at Nordic Air as well. And, and then I, I jumped on a 40 foot one um, a year later and mm -hmm. it, it just, it sucked so bad. And throughout the whole vacation, yep. we just had the engines on. Just couldn't, I couldn't sail it. Well, um, so let me ask you this. Was the 45, was it an older model? Um, I can't answer that. Um, okay. Don't well, know. The, 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 the trend of the industry in general has been moving towards um, bigger, heavier, um, you know, and then you obviously have the offshoot on stuff that is more geared towards um, sailing performance. But right. um so that it's kind of a a general rule at least with catamarans that the earlier models and by earlier i mean like late 90s early 2000s um mm. tend to be uh, a little bit better sailors um compared to the you know later model stuff which mm. has just gone full-on you know comfort at anchor so and, that, and that's true of the production builders for the most part well, and I think it's in general our lifestyle anyway, right? We all want to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you and I got together because there was a um, a boat that you're currently selling that we're putting um, an integral um, mm -hmm. generator on board. And I think everybody has heard of the integral system uh, by now. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, they just wanted, they want comfort, right? They're going to sail around the world. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Air conditioning at night. Uh and I would say, yeah, as far as integral, uh, specifically, uh, that, you know, lithium, lithium battery bank on the boat and, and obviously the addition of integral, um, is a huge positive step forward in, in livability of the boat, um, and, and less stress about how, how much power consumption and that kind of thing. So, you know, just a little plug for integral there. Yeah. Well, you know, why not? Right. Cause it, it is, um, it's a giant shift in technology. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, but that's the point was comfort. And so sort of backing up to the whole point of this little micro conversation was that um, you really need to find, so when you're going out and you're starting to buy a boat and you start, okay, well, let's buy a boat, right? I, I think, mm -hmm. and obviously you do, but, um, you know, you need to find yourself a broker that knows you, that gets to know you, that really spends some time understanding what you want um as the lifestyle on the boat so that you end up buying the right boat and they will tell you hey this boat's not for you um let's leave right now um so that's um so what are the things to look out for so you're starting to interview um or i'm starting to interview uh, boat brokers you know what sort of questions should i ask them um, sure yeah. sure um well so first of all uh, um you know, going into it, it is is going to be you're probably going to have some kind of idea on, on what kind of boat you want. Like, so I specifically um, specialize in catamarans. I I know all the models. I've sailed most of them. Um, you know, I know all the brands. Um, so that obviously is if you're looking for a catamaran, you're going to seek out something like someone like me. Um, so you, the best thing is to determine, okay, do I, do I want a big cruising monohull? Do I want a trawler? Do I want a catamaran? Um, do I want something that's going to be race oriented? 
right? So once you've determined that, then you seek out the broker that's going to specialize in that specific, you know, niche of the market. Right. But every um, broker is going to say, yeah, I, I sell that. I, I, I specialize Well, I in wouldn't that. say, I mean, if someone came to me and they said, Hey, I'm looking for a trawler, I'd say, you know, I'll, I'll go look at trawlers with you, but that is certainly not my specialty. And I don't, I'm not going to be able to tell you the specific information about trawlers that, you know, someone who specializes in trawlers would mm -hmm. understand. Right. Honestly, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to turn away clients, but I would tell them very frankly that I'm probably not the right person to, um, to advise them in that regard. So. Right. So you that's, know. that's one of the things then you should probably ask, you know, what's their specialty and, and make sure. Yeah, that, oh, really absolutely. that should cert you should certainly seek out someone who specializes in, in the, um, in the specific, specific <laughs> niche of the market that you're looking for. Um, beyond that, you know, get a couple brokers on the phone. Um, don't be afraid to call people up and, and have a chat with them and, and see which one, you know, you, you kind of mesh with, um, Obviously, you want someone that's going to be knowledgeable. So try and weed out the the people who are, um, I, you know, I don't want to say fakers, but there are people who who are more, they, they don't necessarily have a strong background in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, they, they probably like boating and that's why they got into the, the job but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're knowledgeable and and uh, capable of advising you in a in well, a in a comprehensive way so well, let's um, jump on that because industry has a really bad reputation you know boat sales oh, i'm a boat sales guy oh right correct um, yeah um it's an unfortunate thing that you know i guess with any industry you often get defined by um the the bad actors in your in your profession um you know i i think you could say the same thing about lawyers and politicians um and, but and lawyers yeah and lawyers yeah. and lawyers and lawyers yeah yeah sorry hey, now, my dad's my dad's a lawyer <laughs> easy um my partner's but, a lawyer so she yeah. she uh, maybe i shouldn't say that but, uh, <laughs> she's a good lawyer though uh, yeah yeah um so but no i mean there are certainly as i say the the used car salesman types right they're just willing to sell you whatever it is that you're you know thinking about buying and or whatever it is that they have currently listed, I guess that's what I should really say. Yeah. Um, well, the point then is, look, there are good ones, right? And there yes, are bad absolutely. ones. So um, despite the reputation, there are good ones and, you know, you're a good one. Um, but mm -hmm. but it's the point comes down to is like, how do they find the Andrews of this of this world, right? And and really it comes, as you say, down to the, down to interviewing and spending a lot of time. Um, so Yeah, so, I mean, asking questions and, and asking the right questions, I guess, would be, look for um look for specifics and 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 what i mean by that is if you've done some online searching which pretty much everybody does these days right it's a, a lot of internet self-shopping going on these days mm -hmm. um then you know you've probably had a few models um that piqued your interest right so ask the broker what's the difference between these two models um how how is this one better than that one or good um, you know what what's the reputation for this specific you know vintage of of you know whatever brand um if they can't answer those questions then they're probably faking it 
Um, if they tell you only positive things, then be weary. Mm -hmm. um, they should be able to name negative attributes of any boat because all boats have negative attributes in some regard, right? Um, you know. So ask, even, ask what's the negative attributes of this particular model? Right. Yeah, exactly. What are the negative attributes of this particular model? Just listen to their um, answer. Well, but I, I don't know if I would say ask that directly, because if they are not, you know, just in conversation telling you about the negative attributes, if they're only telling you about positive things, then obviously that's some kind of sales tactic, right? If you're looking for someone to represent you as a buyer, they're supposed to be an advisor. They're supposed to be working on your behalf to make sure that you buy the right boat for your needs. And if they're unwilling to try and talk you out of certain boats, then that should be a serious red flag. Right. So, well, can you ask technical I, questions like, uh, "Hey, what uh, brand engine is on that boat?" Um, is that sort of like a little test? I mean, you, you certainly could. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of the uh, builders put various engines in 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 a particular model. So, I, I don't know if that's, you know, something that specific, but. You know, if you ask about, okay, I've considered this particular model. Um, have you ever done a survey on it? Oh, you have? Okay, what is some kinds of things that have come out on survey that, you know, were issues for this boat in the past? Right. Or um, what, what have other people said about this boat that maybe you've sold to or do you know Exactly. About? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's the point, right? It's just finding the right boat and, and the right broker. So you really do have your job cut out for you, but the first job is getting the right broker and then that will facilitate getting the right boat, hopefully. Um, yeah, so I can tell you a little bit about the process of getting the right boat. It's, it's yeah. um, a pretty involved process. And I'll, first of all, I'll mention um, yacht brokerage is essentially the same as real estate sales. Um, since most people are familiar with real estate, um, basically the, the listing broker, right? The, the broker who has a, a, um, a yacht for sale, right. And is representing the seller has a commission agreement with the seller for a certain percentage, um, of that sale. And as a buyer representative, you're, you're not, if you're looking to buy a boat, you're not paying your broker out of pocket at all. That broker is approaching listing brokers and saying, hey, I've brought you a buyer. Um, when we sell this boat, we're going to split the commission. So um, it's it really, there's really no reason at all not to um, take on the services of a buyer broker if you're, if you're not totally knowledgeable about the subject, um, you know, about specific models and that kind of thing yourself, right? So, right. And, e and even if you are fairly knowledgeable about yachts, you may not be as knowledgeable about the purchase process. So, you know, and in dealing with all the paperwork and that kind of stuff. So certainly a case to be made for taking on the services of a, a buyer representative, um, you know, seeing as you're not going to be paying them out of pocket, the, the commission is going to be taken out of the, the sale of the boat either way, whether you have a representative or not. So, um, I, I mean, hey, obviously I'm biased, but uh, right. I would say, you know, you absolutely should take on the services of a buyer broker um, in order to cover your bases. Right. Yeah. Because yep. uh, the selling broker is going to double uh, dip, right? Uh, well, I mean, I wouldn't say it's double dipping. I mean, no, yeah, right. if, if you approach a selling broker directly, um, then he's essentially going to be representing both you and the, the seller of the boat, which is fine. I mean, I've done those situations a number of times. Um, 
I, I would say I can very, uh, you know, ethically represent both parties without any issue. The, the challenge is when you get into the negotiations on price, um, you just, the broker should take a very hands-off approach. Um, speaking yeah. for myself, I will give, you know, I've already spoken to the seller generally about what his, you know, bottom dollar is, um, what he'd like to get out of the boat. And we've discussed the comps, you know, what these boats have been selling for, um, you know, recently. And so he already has a pretty good understanding of where, where he's at. Now, as the buyer, you know, as the buyer coming in, it's, you know, I have to also share the comps with him, but I'm not going to tell him what I think the seller would be willing to take for the boat and, and vice versa. I wouldn't tell the seller what I think he, you know, that he could get out of the buyer. Right. Um, so I'll share the comps of the boat. This is what they've been selling for. Um, you know, if you, you know, if they say, okay, well, should I offer this? I'll say, well, I think that's a fair offer or, you know, I don't think that's going to do it. Um, but I would never give specifics about bottom dollars or, or, you know, what people are willing to pay. Anything like that would be totally unethical. So, Right, right. So let's move on to, um, you know, talking about uh, buying the wrong boat. You know, you see this boat, you fall in love with it. It's just awesome. And you buy the wrong boat. Um, that's 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 just a bad trap and I'm sure everybody falls into it. And I'm pretty sure you probably find out in the first few weeks, you're like, Oh, bugger, I bought the wrong boat. Well, it, it certainly it's, uh, it happens. Uh, now my experience with that scenario is that generally people, um, they, they get very focused on a specific model. They've seen it at a boat show or they've, um, you know, they found it online. It has all the features that they want. Um, but it's usually people who um, don't have any live aboard experience or um, or cruising experience. They're you know more novice buyers, and they just become enamored with a specific model. I have to have it, um, and you know if you tell me I must have this specific model, then I'll say okay, well you know we'll do what we can to find you the best deal on that specific model. Right. But why? Um, <laughs> why but why? You? Yeah, and and I'll usually say well why, you know how do you want to use the boat. Um, and so, for instance, I'll, I'll have clients that say, I want this specific model because we just want to, you know, bounce around the Virgin Islands in, in the Caribbean. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty new to sailing. We don't think we're going to be crossing oceans. And generally, that goes well for the first year or two. Um, and then they realize that they're more committed to the lifestyle than they anticipated. And they want to do bigger, longer passages and they realize that they've purchased a boat that's not necessarily uh, the right platform for, you know, m more serious offshore cruising. Well, um, here's what happens is you get a boat, right, and you start fixing it and you start adding electronics to it and you, you know, put mm -hmm. all this stuff into it and you spend probably 50, 60, 100 grand extra Correct. on all the cool things that you want to put into it. And then all of a sudden you're like, ah, I think we want to upgrade the boat. Well, you're not going to get that 50, 60, 100 grand back out of it. You're probably going to get, you know, maybe if you're lucky, the same price you paid for it or less, uh, depending yeah, on... Yeah, I mean, that's that's usually the case. I mean, you you don't buy a boat to make money. It's uh, That's a unicorn. If, if you can make that happen, it's basically impossible. But um, yeah, I mean, so when it comes to upgrading boats, I, I categorized the you know, upgrades into two categories, right? There's kind of just sustaining value upgrades, right? So 
if you've got eight-year-old electronics on the boat, putting brand new electronics on it isn't really adding value. You know, if you go to sell that boat, people expect it to have decent electronics. Um, so you might add a little bit of value if they're, you know, a year old and, oh, I just put in new electronics, a little bit of value. But generally speaking, people expect them to have, you know, working functional electronics. So it doesn't add a lot of value. Um, but there are upgrades, for instance, like integral. If you add integral to a boat that had, you know, conventional AGM batteries in a, in a diesel generator, um, that is a value added upgrade, right? People right. are, that's going to be a huge selling point for the boat. Um, so you may get your money back out of that to a certain extent. Uh, same applies to, you know, say adding air conditioning to a boat that didn't previously have air conditioning. Um, so, so there, there is a bit of variation on what you can kind of get your money back out of, but yeah, generally speaking, you're not going to sell a boat for more money than you have into it. It's, right. it's pretty, pretty rare. What about new sails? You know, if you put new sails on it with that? Um... I mean, not really. I mean, that kind of goes along with electronics, you know, they, the, you know, any boat buyers expecting the boat to have usable sails. Mm. So yeah, you get a little, um, you know, a little bonus factor from if it has, you know, relatively new sails. Um, I would say that's more of a factor of getting the boat sold easily and quickly rather than for more money. Yeah. Um, it makes it desirable, but it doesn't necessarily make people want to pay more money for right. it. Right. Well, and sometimes so. desire does go to money. Okay, let's move on to um, yeah. talking about surveyors, because um, you absolutely should get your boat surveyed by a professional surveyor, right? Absolutely. Yes. So I'll I'll do a brief rundown of the, the purchase process and then... Yeah. You know, kind of we'll get into the due diligence period, which is a uh, survey and all that. Um, so the purchase process obviously starts, you know, so say you were to contact me looking for a boat. Um, we would initially, I would send a bunch of listings uh, that met your criteria, right? So we, I just, we'd have a conversation, talk about what you intend, you know, how you intend to use the boat, how many family members you want to have on board, um, you know, what size range, what budget range, that kind of thing. Um, once I've determined that, then I'll send you several listings um, that I think meet your needs and we'll kind of go over those and discuss, oh, I like it for this reason, I don't like it for that reason. Um, through that process, and then usually that's a lot of back and forth emails uh, and phone calls, uh, we'll kind of narrow down the specific you know, model or models that you um, are most interested in. And at that point, I'll usually plan a trip with you to South Florida. And I say that because um, there is the most inventory of yachts in general, and, and, and especially catamarans in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. So we'll spend a weekend in, in Fort Lauderdale, and we'll just get on uh, as many catamarans as we can uh, that meet your criteria. And usually coming out of that trip, you'll have a really good understanding, if not of what you want, at least of what you definitely don't want, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and hopefully we've narrowed it down to a specific model um, or even maybe a, a particular boat that's for sale. Um, at that point, we will start making offers and um, you know, the offer, you know, the, 
making an offer on a boat starts with we'll, we'll go over the comps together, get an idea of you know what these boats have been selling for, what you should potentially pay for it. Obviously, talk about the various pros and cons of how it's equipped, um, where it's located, that kind of stuff. Um, and hopefully we can, you know, get it under contract, assuming the, the seller accepts your offer. Once the boat's under contract, at that point, we take a, a 10% deposit. It's held in the multi-haul company, my company's escrow account, right? So we have control over that 10% deposit at all times. You can back out of the contract at any point, right? This is your due diligence period. It's your opportunity to go through the boat, have a surveyor aboard, make sure that everything is satisfactory and we know everything we can know about this boat before you commit to purchasing. Um, so obviously if you decide to back out of that, then you get your 10% deposit back. Um, so that leads us into the survey. Once the boat's under contract, the challenging part is to, you know, figure out the survey. Usually this is in a location that neither of us live. Um, and so we have to find a, a good surveyor in that area. Well, I am very. Who, um, who are these surveyors? So, yeah. So, so I mean, obviously just as there are brokers that specialize in different kinds of boats, there are surveyors that specialize in different kinds of boats. And I'm a huge proponent of, you know, so I deal with catamarans. I want to find a surveyor that deals specifically with catamarans or at the very least sailboats, right? The worst thing you can do, in my opinion, um, in your due diligence period is to hire a guy who specializes in, in, you know, center console outboard, you know, power boats <laughs> to come survey your catamaran, and, you know, that he's not the appropriate person. He doesn't know the right things to look for. He's probably going to do a pretty cursory job. Um, he's not going to know what he's looking at when it comes to, you know, the, the sales and rigging and, um, you know, things specific to a catamaran or, or a sailboat in general. So it's, it's really important that we find a surveyor that's going to be knowledgeable about catamarans in general, probably have specific experience on, on the model and, and brand that we are actually surveying. Um, so that's, that's key. Now that becomes more difficult when you get further off the beaten track, obviously. So, you know, if we're, if we're surveying a boat, say in Mexico, it might be harder to track down a surveyor in Mexico that specializes in catamarans. Um, in that scenario, you might even consider flying one in from Florida. Um, but, you know, for instance, in South Florida, there are several guys who we work with who specialize in catamarans, do a very comprehensive, um, you know, thorough job. Uh, so, so surveyors will get on airplane um, and go. Obviously they will. I mean, obviously you're paying for it. Um, you're you're paying for their travel days and you're paying for their flights and accommodations. So it's it's not a cheap proposition. And 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 generally, we do that for, you know, pretty pretty big deals, right? So you know, mm -hmm. million dollar boats, you know, even half million dollar boats potentially, but. Um, you're not going to fly in a surveyor for a $150,000 catamaran, right? right. So, honestly, you, you'd probably be, be better off finding a similar $150,000 catamaran in, in the U.S. and right. then finding a surveyor in the U.S. It's just, um, I can't imagine you're getting a good enough deal on a small catamaran to, to 
uh, make it worthwhile traveling to whatever far flung place. But um, all right, well, let's talk yeah, about so, cost cost of a surveyor. Um, let's say he's in the city, so we're not talking about travel. But. Yeah, so obviously, just like everything else, uh, marine services vary widely based on location. Um, surveyors fall into that category as well, but generally speaking, um, there's something around twenty dollars a foot. So in let's say my home state of North Carolina, um, they might charge $18 a foot um, for a survey. Whereas in South Florida, you know, a good surveyor might charge $23 a foot. So it, it varies a bit, but something along those lines, you know. So if it's a 40, foot, assume, boat, a 40 foot boat would be 800 bucks, is that right? 800 bucks, yeah. 50 foot boat's gonna be something like, you know, a thousand bucks. Is that double for a catamaran? No, it does not double for a catamaran. Uh, generally speaking, that's, for any kind of boat, right? So powerboat, um, you know, monohull, catamaran, it doesn't matter. They do it by length and that's, and that's that. And that's the you, surveyor's time, right? And the correct. report. Uh, but you still got so, to pull the boat out of the water and all that stuff? Correct, yes. So the other expenses, obviously, are you are going to be paying for the haul out at the yard. Um, and How much does that cost? Uh, again, it varies widely. Um, we usually are doing, you know, for a short, uh, for a survey, we're doing a short haul, um, where basically they lift the boat out of the water. Um, generally on a travel lift, it remains in the slings for about an hour. The surveyor will go, you know, check the running gear, uh, check props, sail drives, uh, drive shafts, rudders. Um, he'll, he'll, uh, hammer on the hull to check for moisture intrusion, look for osmosis. Um, but the, the, the out of water portion of the survey usually only takes about an hour, hour and a half, and then they, they drop us back in the water. So the cost of the haul out is significantly less expensive when you remain in the slings and they don't have to block the boat and you know, set it up on the, on the hard. Um, but it's usually something like eight or $11 a foot for, uh, for a short haul. Okay, and that's monohull or cat, right? Yes, yes. Uh, the challenge with cats is that once you get above, you know, the low 40 foot size range, the the beam of the boat becomes a challenge to find a, a haul out slip large enough. Right. Um, so you can end up being limited in where you can haul out and might be stuck going to one of the more expensive yards that has a has a larger travel lift. So 1200 bucks basically is going to get you a decent survey as long as the survey yeah is, i mean know, I, de depending on the size of the boat i usually tell people to budget for between 1500 and 2500 dollars right. for the survey yep okay uh, yeah good good yeah. good all right um but um so that yeah so that's your due diligence period um you know we're gonna the surveyor is gonna go through the boat with a fine-tooth comb um you know he should operate every system that sometimes you know like uh, for instance if a water maker is pickled um, you mean, meaning it's, it's been put away for storage and we don't want to, um, upset that, then we might not run the water maker, but we'll put power to it to make sure that it at least turns on, you know, the, the surveyor should check all the, that everything, all the systems are functioning properly. A good surveyor is going to check the rig. Occasionally they'll even go up the rig. Um, then, you know, you've got a really good surveyor. Um, and you know, you'll have a comprehensive look at, at the boat. I, I highly encourage clients to be present for their survey. Um, I'm, I'm always present for the survey myself. I'd like to have the clients join me. Um, and 
generally you can kind of follow the surveyor around and ask questions. He'll tell you what he's looking at and, and um, you know, point out things that are of interest. And usually you leave survey day with a pretty good um, understanding of the condition of the vessel and you should have a pretty good idea of, of how it is you're going to move forward on that. Right. You know, whether you're going to move forward, I guess you sh I should say. Um, and then you can negotiate the price based on the findings, right? Correct. So once the survey is complete, um, then we usually go through a second round of negotiations based on any deficiencies that we found in the boat. Um, you know, that can go several different ways, but most common is that, you know, say the air, the air conditioning unit wasn't working, um, and it's a $3,000 replacement part. Um, usually we'll say, look, you know, we knew making an offer on the boat that this thing had original air conditionings. Um, so split the difference with us, knock off 1500 bucks from the price because we have to, we're going to have to replace this air conditioning unit. Um, and, and, and generally speaking, it, we can, um, you know, sellers and buyers can, as long as they're being reasonable, we can come to terms, um, you know, without too much issue. But so at that point we do an acceptance, right? So we, we accept the boat, um, with the understanding that they're going to either compensate you for these deficiencies or fix these things prior to closing. Um, you know, so with sometimes with conditions, um, which is obviously called a conditional acceptance. Mm -hmm. Um, but at that point, once you've signed as a buyer, once you've signed acceptance, um, you're locked in, right? you that 10% now is non non-refundable and we're moving into the closing process uh, of the boat, which is, we'll, I'll usually um, recommend that you hire a documentation agent, which is kind of similar to um, like a closing attorney on a house, right? Going back to the real estate analogy. Um, and the documentation agent will check for liens. They'll um, deal with any transfers of registration and title. Um, they're also a good person to talk to about specific tax implications. Um, I can give you usually give you pretty good information on that kind of stuff, but obviously it varies from state to state and country to country. Um, but that will be the time that you sort all that stuff out. We're working on obviously figuring out the, the transfer of money and, and, and then we move to closing and, uh, and then closing day, the boat is yours. You are officially a boat owner. And so the bank or you wire the money to multi-hull? Correct. So if, if you've gotten the boat financed, then the, the finance company will obviously have to sign off on this particular boat. Um, uh, the, the survey is a part of that, right? You'll provide them with the survey. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the bank will make a transfer to the, the seller's account. Um, to the seller's you know, account you, or to the broker or, um, or that's that? straight to the seller, right? Straight into the seller's. Well, it, it depends. Sometimes it's to the seller's brokerage. Sometimes it's okay. uh, through us. Sometimes it's straight to the seller. It, you know, that's something to be right. uh, determined. But, um, you know, if you're buying cash, then obviously it's a little more straightforward. Yeah, a suitcase of money. What about that? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, it's funny because I've had clients say, hey, you know, do you think they, um, if I offered them gold, right? I have all these gold coins. If I offered them gold, do you think they'd take this price? You know, the price of gold is really good right now. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, <nice. laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, man. I've never, I've never seen one of those go through. But what about Bitcoin? You ever sold a boat with Bitcoin? 
I've never sold a boat with Bitcoin. Actually, I, I, I have been, <laughs> I've actually, in when I was still running boats, um, I got offered to be compensated in Bitcoin, but you should have taken it. <laughs> yeah, I probably should have taken it. Oh God. Um, yeah. And then, um, look, uh, you know, you can't get away from sales tax, right? In the U.S., there's just no way around it. So you're going to pay sales tax. On well, that, no, right? that's not that's not necessarily the case. That's uh-huh. a, sales tax is state by state. So, for instance, if where you know we do a lot of our uh, transactions in Florida, the boats are in Florida. Mm-hmm. If you if you are not a Florida resident or a Florida property owner, right? So two big caveats there. Um, you can purchase a boat in Florida without pay, paying Florida sales tax. So when we would, when the, when we're in closing, you would apply for um, a Florida tax exemption, which can be for 90 days or 180 days. And basically that allows you to keep the boat in Florida for that length of time um, without paying tax, but you got to get it out of there because if that 180 days runs out, then they're going to come after you for uh, 7% sales tax. So, right. And then, so you've got to take it to a state that doesn't charge sales taxes or any mm-hmm. out there. So, it, it, yeah, you got to get it out of the state or, you know, take it to the Bahamas, something like that. Um, uh, like I say, it varies state by state. For instance, North Carolina, we have, we don't have sales tax here, we have use tax. So, if you own a if you own a yacht and it is physically in North Carolina, every year on January first they assess that yacht for um, for use tax, basically meaning you're using our waterways and stuff. Right. Um, and that is six percent capped at fifteen hundred bucks. So you know North Carolina is actually a relatively inexpensive uh, state to own a boat. Um, Right, but you know, the boat has, to, boat has to stay in North Carolina, right? But I mean, yeah, so, I mean, and that's the thing. You can keep your boat in North Carolina. If it is not here on the day that use tax is assessed, then you're not paying use tax. So, so you can take you know, it in and out and in and out? Well, you know, you could sail down to the Bahamas for uh, Christmas and New Year's and come back and, oh, you didn't get assessed, you know? So, I mean, that's, I probably shouldn't say that. But, um, you know, obviously there are ways to, um, legally avoid paying taxes. I, I would not recommend illegal ways of avoiding taxes, but yeah. that's technically a legal way to avoid paying the use tax. Now, there are other states that just don't assess any tax on yachts in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the the two the two um, who's an expert on this? Like, if somebody's like, okay, well, I want to you know investigate that, how to do it, even in my state or whatever. Is there, is there experts around? Or like, yeah. So uh, you know the there are attorneys and, and, you know, like I say, also documentation agents that specialize in, you know, maritime tax law. So that's where um, you'd type in, like, um, in your city, you'd, you know, I'm in Austin, so I'd type in Austin, maritime state. I don't know if there would be one in Austin. None in Austin. Okay, Texas. <laughs> probably have to go to Houston. Okay, Houston, uh, maritime yeah. state uh um, tax attorney or um yeah you know so i usually recommend our our documentation agent who who, she does not work for us directly but we like to recommend her because she's quite good her her name is jan painter um all yacht registries.com you know put a little plug for her um but she can do any any state she can yeah she's she's you know been doing this stuff for decades and she can usually tell you off the top of her head um, the various tax laws and, and best ways to register and flag a boat. So oh, that's sweet. Okay, um, just repeat she, her she's name quite again. Good. Repeat that. 
What's that? R- repeat her name. Oh, her name is Jan Painter, and her website is allyachtregistries.com. Okay, sweet. That's good information. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, everybody, do things legally. Um, yes, absolutely do them legally. You don't want to do them illegally. illegally. Um, and, and, and honestly, in the long run, it works out better to, you know, stay on the, the happy side of the law. Um, <laughs> you know, for instance, if a, if a boat is built outside the U.S., um, if it's U.S. flagged, you have to import it into the U.S. once it, once it arrives in U.S. waters. Um, for most boats, depending on the country of origin, um, that's about 1.7% of value. Um, you know, for European boats, for South African boats, we actually have favored nation status with South Africa. So you can bring them in for basically nothing, no duty. Um, for Chinese boats, we happen to be in a trade war with China right now. So they're at 10% right Right. now. So it it varies country to country, but you, I would, if you're going to have your boat U S flagged, I would definitely recommend paying the duty and having it imported. Um, stay on not only are you staying on the good side of the law but if you when you go to sell the boat you can legally sell it in the u.s at that point right yeah that that creates a problem to sell it um i did have a um a friend that um was sort of informally chartering his boat in greece out to Mm -hmm. friends and people in you know his local club and stuff like that and he was charging them money right so um he uh, gets a call from one of his friends one day saying, uh, yeah, the Greek authorities, um, I'm on your boat, and the Greek authorities have seized your boat, mm-hmm. and um, they are now towing it into port. Um, so, uh, hmm, right. so he, um, he had to pay 30,000 euros as a Ooh. fine um, to the Greek government for illegally um, chartering his boat out. Um, so... Um, he should have told his friends, well, he shouldn't know, he should have done it legally, uh, but he his, should have done it his legally, friends, yeah. when the Coast Guard asked him, the Greek Coast Guard, you know, how, how did you get hold of this boat? Why are you chartering it? Or why are you using this boat? Oh, it's my friend. Did he charge you any money? Yes, we paid money to use this boat. Okay. Come with me. And, um, yep. So, and, and I will warn people that the U.S. Coast Guard um, has a similar attitude, attitude towards that situation. You, if you're going to be charging people money to go out on your boat you should be a licensed captain and you should be legally inspected to um take out paying customers so right uh, certainly certainly something to think about yeah okay well good good advice all right okay um i think we're getting towards the end of the show i do want to do a little plug on nordic ed here because what happens i think is that people um tend to buy a boat that represents their own comfortable comfortability in sailing that size boat so um all of a sudden you're starting to buy like a 30 foot boat because that's all you feel comfortable with um but then after a month or two you're like man you know this boat's too small um but you know you bought it because that's what you were comfortable with so i'm i'm kind of you know saying like you know buy the boat that's going to work for you long term and if you're uncomfortable with that size of a boat that's not a problem because every lots of people sail bigger boats right so you can get to that point um, and be comfortable and confident and competent um you know sailing the the size of the boat that you really eventually want so um, i think you know there's a there's a a disservice almost that's done in this uh, sailing industry and that's 
you know, somebody, um, a, a poor instructor, like you've got poor um, sales guys, you've also got poor instructors out there, and they, they leave the person on the boat at the end of the weekend or end of the week where the person's like, yeah, I'm not really confident, but, you know, they get this, what we call a mech certification. Um, and so they, they think they've got a certification, that they're, they're told they're competent and confident by this mech certification, but they're not. And they're leaving it going, they're a bit not so confident, and so they... I'm like, oh, you know, either I won't buy a boat now or I'll buy a smaller one. And so make sure when you're buying a boat that you go out and you get with a great instructor, not a good instructor, a great instructor that's really focused on your competence and will stick with you all the way through um, to the competence stage, not to the mixed certification stage. Um, so you know that's a little plug and on. So the, so so Grant, let me ask you this then: Does does Nautic Ed? Um, do you guys have a special program to train people on their own vessels? Yeah, I mean we have uh, instructors all over the country, um, through Canada and and throughout the world, and um, they have a process to go through to take somebody from where they are now to where they want to go. So we don't do, well, you've got to start at the start and then you know go through everything. We don't do that. Um, so the instructor, our instructors are trained to say, okay, what are your goals and where are you now? And how can I help you get there? And so we've got all the courses, all the theory courses online are arranged in that manner as well. And then the mm -hmm. instructor is trained to take them through the competence phase so that that person really leaves being extremely confident and competent and to the point of, you know, um, even making sure the person, especially if it's a catamaran, making sure they can do Mediterranean mooring, um, which, you know, even in the Caribbean, you use Mediterranean mooring all the time. And most mm -hmm. instructors that we've seen out there, they can't even do one. You know, they're like, what is that? Um, all of our instructors at Nordic Air are trained. You've got to do and be able to train and teach uh, Mediterranean mooring. So, um, yeah, 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 we do. Absolutely. Okay. Do, do you guys offer, um, I, I know, I, I don't know, are you more like um, day, day sail type instruction or do you have like offshore passage instruction, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, so if, courses, if, I guess I should say. If you go to our website, you'll see that we have um, crew certifications, skip a small keelboat certification, skip a large keelboat certifications for a sort of local you know, slightly offshore sailing on bigger boats. Then we have Bearboat Chartermaster, which is really focused at um, near shore, but um, but multiple days. So mm -hmm. chartering a boat. Um, and then we have Offshore Captain, which is going across the Atlantic. Um, okay. glo global weather so, systems. And so could I, uh, so should I be recommending Nautic Ed to, you know, uh, the client who just bought their catamaran in, in the Eastern Caribbean and want to sail it back to the, to the East Coast and, so they need to hire a delivery skipper one way or another, um, but they'd like to get some instruction uh, and do the delivery with, uh, you know, a qualified captain. Look, absolutely, because once they drop that qualified captain off at the shore and start taking the boat themselves, they really need to know all the theory. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, we, we really break it down. Look, there's, there's theory, knowledge, and there's practical skills. Right, so you can't learn everything just being on a boat, and you certainly cannot learn everything online or in a book. Right, so the two mm -hmm. go together, and we what we do on Nautigate is we really split it out, so that you do your theory online, but we have an electronic logbook. We start logging uh, your time and experience on different size boats, 
and then the software that we have really sort of calculates how competent you are um, and then we overlay all of that with the instructor doing an assessment under certain uh, parameters of a standard. So for the standard for bareboat charter master rank is a heck of a lot higher than the standard for skipper small keelboat. Um, mm. And so at the end of that assessment, and we again we break out and make a difference between training and assessment. I can train you, but just because I've trained you, it doesn't mean to say that you actually know that. Right? Once I assess you, now you and I know that you know that. And so I can properly sign you off. Um, and so, um, yeah, so everybody that you're selling a boat to, look, even, even if they did the online courses and they were perfectly experienced, we get people all the time sending me emails saying, hey, I've been sailing for 40 or 50 years and I just learned a heck of a lot uh, from Nordic Ed. And, and we have professional authors that are, you know, they've been sailing for 40 or 50 years and gone around the world many, many, many times. Um, so they are dropping in tips and tricks and all that kind of stuff. And so we're not just, you know, here's how you sail a boat. We'll be like, yeah. hey, right, you know, here's a tip for this. Here's a trick for this. Uh, if you want to can't pick up a mooring ball because it's um, the, the, the um, painter is too long on the mooring ball, um, is that the right word, painter? It's not the right word. Yes, correct. Uh, no, that is the, the is. pendant. Pendant, the pendant on the well, mooring ball is could be, uh, could be either, I guess, broken or you you know you can't reach it or whatever. Well, you know, hey, look, back up to the mooring ball and get it off the back of the boat. Nobody's ever thought of that. No, but that kind of stuff is in our courses that really solidifies somebody being confident and competent and really enjoying the whole process of of not looking like an idiot in front of sure. not, not being the show right you don't want to go to the bvi and be the show for everybody else right um, slow like a pro absolutely but slow like a pro because you know yeah exactly yeah, there you go up. i'm missing part of it yeah i made it up just on the spot but um, you gotta remember okay. that one let's um so uh, i think um have you got any things to add otherwise we can sort of wrap it up and um yeah i mean i figure i'll just do a um you know tell them how they can get in touch with me type thing yeah do it so uh you've got you're up on a website with multi-hole company right correct so um what do they search for um so if you want to find me you can go to multiholecompany.com and i am the north carolina office or you can just find captain andrew hodgton all right, very cool. Okay, um, I think that's a wrap. Um, All right. Andrew, thanks so much. What a really interesting conversation um, this has been. Yeah, I, thanks, Grant. Yeah, it was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. And I think, um, you know, anybody listening, and I hope you gained sort of a lot about, you know, what to watch out for and, and um, you know, don't get too excited when you buy that boat. You know, take your time and, uh, and buy the right it, boat. It should be a deliberate process, that's for sure. All right, everybody, uh, thanks very much for listening in to the Nordic Ed podcast, and we'll catch you on the next side. Thanks, Fred.